Welcome to the Horror on the Orient Express debrief. The point of this episode is to sort of wrap things up, express some conclusions, get some ideas out there, and kind of look back on the campaign in hindsight. There are really three parts I want to cover when doing this. The first part is the more uh, fun and interesting thing, where I talk about the mistakes I made as a GM, some of the regrets I have, coulda, woulda, shouldas, etc., etc., and sort of a brief review of the module itself. Because, the oh, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the second part will be a discussion of Lovecraft, existentialism, and sort of the themes of nihilism that cropped up throughout the course of the campaign that were worth looking into. I think it's important to discuss these sorts of things, especially this is a very common theme with cosmic horror, and I think it's very useful to have a discussion at the end about that. And then finally, we'll talk about some of the more complex political themes of the campaign. Being an older campaign from the 90s, it hasn't aged well as time goes on. And while I praise the, uh, the team at Chaosium for updating it a bit, I do have to say it's not perfect. And there's a, a, lot, of, there's a lot of flaws that are worth looking into and acknowledging. But first of all, the coulda, woulda, shouldas. Uh, all right. So, first of all, I should have gone slower. There were many sessions where the campaign would have been better if I took my time. Now, this comes from a place for me personally as a GM where I have had many sessions where I feel like nothing is achieved. In D&D especially, where we just had like two combats or so and combat takes forever and it just made it feel longer, and it felt like we achieved nothing, and honestly, it was kind of pointless. To me, a good session is, some, is one where we as the characters achieved something. It doesn't matter what we achieved, it just matters that we achieved something by the end of the campaign, or by the end of the session. So, you know, a small goal, an artifact was obtained, a piece of information, a clue, a giant puzzle solved. Or even just a boss was defeated. But to me, if I just did a bunch of random encounters for one session and then kinda started up on the plot by the end of it, no, that's a waste of time. And a waste of my player's time and a waste of my time. However, nonetheless, I should have slowed down. There were some things where they, we could have hit a satisfying conclusion and moved on. There are some sessions, especially in the middle of the campaign, where it started to feel a bit railroady. It wasn't... I kind of blame myself for those. There were ways to make the options a bit more loose and obvious. I should have been much more slow and creepy with the horror at times. And that would have helped. That would have really helped with the tone and the atmosphere. That's just for me going forward as a GM. But now, uh, we get to some other comments I have. These are about the campaigns and the modules themselves. I feel like as if doing this in Trail of Cthulhu kind of worked. I think Trail of Cthulhu and Gumshoe are great systems, but Horror on the Orient Express is made for Call of Cthulhu. And specifically, I'm going to say Pulp Cthulhu in particular. You know, very soft pulp, but I would say you would run that in Pulp Cthulhu because Pulp Cthulhu allows for more damage, it allows for faster healing, and I think that's very important in this campaign because it's essentially a series of Agatha Christie mysteries across Europe and you're just trying to solve them with the mythos involved. I think that's always important to note. 
so yeah, it was an interesting experiment. It was worth trying. It just didn't pan out. The other thing I'd like to note is a brief review of the campaign itself. Overall, Horror on the Orient Express is a wonderfully done campaign, luxurious, wonderfully well-written, but it does have a couple of quirks I don't like. Uh, the first major problem is that the campaign folk is very linear and it has a changeling plot, and that is super difficult. If there is one thing I have in hindsight, it's the fact that people can find can see Mechmet coming a mile away. People can see the betrayal coming from a mile away. And as you may have noticed, I had to do some really dastardly things one session because I wanted to ensure that the twist occurred. And that is not good. Servicing a twist is a terrible idea. I think I should have had an open discussion with the players about, hey, you are going to be betrayed this session. This is what's going to happen. There is no way you can avoid it. And even though that would have felt a bit hammy for them, it would have felt a bit better to not have to betray them. It would have felt more fun and loose if it wasn't like I was hiding something from them. I think the campaign kind of assumes the players aren't thinking or are not going to metagame enough to do that when they have every incentive to subvert the twist. This is, you know, what happens in RPGs all the damn time. I think it requires a sort of maturity that's not typically expected from players. And also, as much as I love what the Dreams of Greb scenario did, I'm not a big fan of how linear and just kind of like a weird cutscene it was. It was cool, but after a while, people kind of got the point. I think it was a very important episode for the campaign. I think we got something very important out of it, and it was very good for role-playing. But it does feel weird just giving the players, making them feel completely directionless. I tried to do what I could to modify it, but it just didn't quite pan out. Uh, finally, uh, the last scenario. I really think that like uh, the Constantinople scenario with uh, with uh, the Romani is very weird with Akhtar because, you know, he is the most obvious, like, I am the bad guy NPC ever. And I think it's he's much better as a red herring. Like, he should be a distraction. You shouldn't do what I did and have Professor Smith show up out of the blue. That was a terrible idea. I shouldn't have added that. Oh, my God. Uh, in hindsight, I would have made it like, a, you know, Toprock's sister. Or if I felt really cunning, I'd talk to, you know, I'd talk to Zack and say, Hey, you want to know what you can be? You want to secretly be Mechmet? See, that would have been cool. That would have been an interesting little plot twist there. So, uh, yeah, that's my review of the module. On to part two, discussions of nihilism. So I think when it comes to the mythos, you inevitably have to encounter a discussion about the nature of life, the universe, everything, and you know what it means to be in it in a world where you are so cosmically small. I think that's just sort of the general appeal to mythos in general. You know, having deities and gods where you know you are so small and insignificant, you are going to be crushed. And it's also the combat of finding agency in a nihilistic universe. I think there were some really, you know, dark and mature themes we kind of went into with this campaign. Especially with the death of Laszlo when he discovers, you know, the nature of the universe and dies because of it. And also when he learns that he's going to die but lives out his days in the dreamlands. I think those are interesting topics and are really always worth exploring in the mythos whenever they show up. 
I do think, though, I was not preparing my players enough for this kind of discussion at times, and you know, maybe there could have been a few more complexities to there, but I do think that it is important to always put that kind of disclaimer that we're really going to be talking about a nihilistic world. And that it's kind of important that you know your that you talk to your player characters about what their relationship to that idea is. I think it's very important early on to disclose that you know that's going to come up in this campaign, you know, no matter what you do, and that you should really just talk to the players about, you know, what's their character's take on this, what's their character's belief about the world, what's their ideology, and then really pick it apart. I think that creates great character growth, and I think that it creates good challenges not just for the character but for the player. I do believe in the power of RPGs to explore complex philosophies and political issues and all that entails. And I think Call of Cthulhu and Trail of Cthulhu do a good job of exploring the relationship between agency and uh, in a nihilistic world. And I think the big thing is that I think sanity is not necessarily the best word for the stat. I think sanity, while it is true that you go mad by looking at the mythos, I think sanity also represents despair. I think it represents how your character begins to just feel like as if they have a lack of agency in this world, because the end of every session always has sanity rewards in, for Call of Cthulhu in general, and I think all of the actions in most scenarios I've read, you look at how those sanity rewards are given, and it's typically for things that make you feel like you have control, or that you can do something good. I think, like, you know, sanity rewards are given out for, you know, you saved the children, or you did this, so it's like, oh, the world is in all shit. And that's a very interesting, I think Call of Cthulhu just has that interesting worldview. I think it has that sense that, you know, even though there is no God, we can still find some direction in this world, something to motivate us towards doing the moral good, because it's what keeps you sane. It's why insanity is typically depicted with violent acts. I think insanity then is not, is not in this game, you know, going mad, thinking the world is against you, but is, again, despair. It's thinking that there is no point. When you permanently go insane, you go mad because you retreat, because you hide. So, yeah. Always a complex topic. I invite more discussion. Moving on to the final part. The politics of horror on the Orient Express. This is gonna be a toughie. So... Horror on the Orient Express's plot, at the end of the day, is about an Islamic cult that is assassinating targets through, through like, acts of terrorism and invading Europe, and they can look like any of us. Oh, Jesus, that has some Islamophobic subtext. Um, now, I want to make this clear. A depiction of something whether good or bad, is never necessarily an endorsement of the thing it depicts. But, I think there is very much a chance that you could watch Horror on the Orient Express and leave thinking that was my personal stance. And I do not agree with that sort of politics. I did everything I could to try to scrub it from the scenario. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, Nash, if you, uh, 
you know, disagree with the game's politics, then, you know, or the game's subtext, why did you still run it? And that's because I still like the fundamental idea. I still like the fundamental idea of being on a train, going across Europe, exploring cities, exploring cultures. And I think that's a very important point to make. I try to make it perfectly clear that, you know, when I'm running this game, that I, that, you know, not that me, the Brotherhood of the Skin is an international organization, that the Brotherhood of the Skin is also not just Muslims, and that not all Muslims are evil, but just how not all Italians were fascists in this campaign. I need to make that perfectly, abundantly clear. And if, you know, if it ever came across that I was implying such a thing, I think especially in episode one I may have made it seem like that, I apologize, and I am sorry for accidentally conveying that worldview. I hope in the future to make it a bit stronger and to you know, make sure that I, as a person and as a player and as a GM, try to distinguish the difference between in-character things and out-of-character things, that I work hard to scrub subtext that I disagree with, and I like to think I did my damnedest, but if I done screwed up, let me know so I can be better in the future. A little bit of housekeeping as well. So in America, where I am from, we don't typically use the word gypsy in a negative way, at least not anymore. Now, I admit though, that word has a long, complicated history, and it is a slur. It is very much a degrading slur, however, because of the complex relationship with it, I do not know, you know, if it is actually still okay for me to be, you know, speaking that even when I'm speaking in a 1920s character. I use the word Romani, the name of the act, the actual name the people call themselves, when I'm speaking in the present. But if I'm speaking in the 1920s, I use the G word because that's what that character would say. But I didn't do that for the N word. I didn't do that for other bits of language. And I think that's because of the way my culture exists relative to the Romani people, because the Romani live mostly in Europe. They exist in America, but I don't encounter them on a regular daily basis and don't hear about them on a regular daily basis. So I myself feel a bit ignorant and I do slip up. I was raised to use that word in a non-pejorative sense. And it's not okay, but I want to explain why I slip. And I apologize if I may have offended anyone. I really do. I work my damnedest to be better, but, you know, the bygones be bygones. We're going to make sure that I improve from here on out. Also, I'd like to apologize right now if I fucking screwed up, like, Serbo-Croat Slovenian politics. That thing is complicated. I don't think the... Horror on the Orient Express is really a great job of explaining the relationships between those three groups. And also, my personal research, I should have done more of that. And finally, if there's one regret I have as a GM, it was in the Blood Red Fez scenario and not preparing my players enough to talk about the Armenian Genocide. That is a question that was brought up by a reporter and I didn't feel prepared enough to discuss it. I didn't feel prepared enough to fully discuss I should have done more research. And I should have prepared my players more. I should have prepared my players for that discussion to arise because it is 
a very controversial and complex topic that, you know, I feel like as if we don't interact with enough. And in hindsight, I wish I took a much more hardline stance against, you know, the actions of the Ottoman Empire and uh, the new Turkish Republic on the Armenians. I think there is very much, that is very much an atrocity that I, that despite my love of Turkish culture, I have to acknowledge exists and is been, and is terrible. I don't think I did it justice, and that's my biggest regret. For all the fascist punching I do in this entire thing, I didn't stop that. I didn't talk about that enough to handle that. And that's my biggest regret, I think, of this whole campaign, is that I didn't talk about that enough, and I didn't prepare my players for that. On that bit of a downer, uh, tomorrow, at time of recording, uh, we begin the new campaign. I'm excited for what is about to come through, and I hope you join us for the next story of, of, of Centralia, the rise of Lazarus. Fortunately, it will no longer be me, your humble editor, doing this, so I have no idea where the story is going. But thank you again for listening. This has been Nash Farmer, and uh, Vitus will return next week, so stay tuned.